0: Today, I'm in Genesis chapter 10, and it's going to be unique because I'm going to be jumping over um, some passages, and basically, this is just kind of going to, chapter 10 of Genesis will be just kind of a starting point for us, and uh, because of the time, we're going to, it's going to feel like we're moving pretty rapidly, and so I'm going to ask for the Lord's help because what I don't want to do is just blow through this and us not receive any benefit because we're worried about time or because... Uh, because I'm going too fast. And so I'm going to ask the Lord to just help us. And for everybody that's here, uh, specifically as I'm praying, ask for, for God to work uniquely in your life uh, this morning. We have visitors here. Um, man, how about just meeting with God this morning in His Word? God is going to speak in this Word, and we want to listen to what God has to say to us. So let's uh, let's pray and ask for, ask for His help. Father, uh, we come to You again. And uh, we're a people of prayer, we're a supernatural people, and we're talking to you, and we know that you hear us. We're not just talking to a drop ceiling, we're not just talking to drywalled walls, we're not just talking to just an open room here. We're talking to the God of the universe, and thank you that your ears, because of what your Son has done for us, your ears are tuned in, and you hear sons and daughters coming, even if we're not even saying words, even if we're just praying in our mind and heart, you're hearing every single one of us in the unique way in which we need to be heard. And God, I'm asking that you would minister. Holy Spirit, you would would come and you would work in a way that I can't work. I can't come and apply this truth to every single person in here. But Holy Spirit, you can come and you can work in the way that you need to work. And I'm asking you to do that. And I'm praying that we would be just changed a little bit this morning. I'm asking that we would be changed and that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, and that we would just worship you through the preached word. We just trust that you're going to work in Jesus' name. Amen. So everybody in this room, and if you're a Christian, uh, there's, uh, it's, it's twofold, but everybody in this room has a physical lineage. Ancestry.com has made just millions of dollars in helping people find out where they come from. Uh, so you know, most likely in this room, you know probably your, your parents, your grandparents, great-grandparents. Um, some of you don't have that privilege, but many of you do have privilege to, to know several generations back. But for the Christian, we also have a spiritual lineage, and you can begin to think about the people who poured into your life, and it may be very similar to your spiritual lineage. For me, it's my parents who led me to Christ when I was five years old. In the kitchen, I remember it very clearly. Um, and then I, I know who it was that led my parents to the Lord, and then we have a spiritual lineage as well. And, um, and today, we're in Genesis 10, we're going to briefly look at the physical lineage of Noah, And we're going to see Noah's sons and the lineage that comes after these sons. And then we're just going to ask ourselves a question. We're going to kind of get a scope. We're going to ask ourselves four specific questions. So uh, I want you to, before I get to those questions, I want you to look at chapter 10 of Genesis. And basically, I just want you to see the structure. And we're not going to read through every single one of these names. Uh, One, I don't want to embarrass myself. And uh, two, uh, because sometimes Bible names are difficult, right? Right. You know the names that you just pass over and don't want to read out loud? I have those as well. Like right there in chapter th- or verse 3 of chapter 10, what in the world is that first name after Gomer? Gomer's easy, but man, phonics don't work with Bible names sometimes. Yeah, okay, what was it? Okay, yeah, Russ had it, or he just said some gibberish, I don't know. Um, I want you to see the the structure of the passage, and then we're going to talk generations, and then I'm going to give four questions, okay? So look at the structure of the passage, starting in verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born born to them after the flood. Now, the verses break down like this. In verse 2 through 5, you get a list of the sons of Japheth. In verse 6 through 14, you get a list of the sons of Ham. In verse 15 to 20, you get a list of the sons of Canaan. And then in verse 21 to 31, you get a list of the sons of Shem. And now what I want to zero in and focus on is about about three generations. Because uh, all of us in this room, in our physical families, are going to significantly influence two generations forward, sometimes three, rarely three. But sometimes we get the privilege of having great-grandparents being able to invest in in our children. But most likely in this room, we we have been invested in by two generations and we will get to invest in two generations. So as you see this, uh, Noah did not get to invest in all of his son's sons. He got to invest in his sons and then some of his son's sons, so his grandchildren. So today, we're going to have implications for both uh, grandparents and for parents. Also, for those who are younger and single, uh, you need to understand that you get two two generations, basically, sometimes three, to learn from. And so as you think about your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents, uh, you, get these, you just get a, a limited window of time, 30, 40, 50 years sometimes, to, to learn from um, great-grandparents, grandparents, and parents. So we just get a limited window with the generations that God has given us at the times in which God has determined that we, we should live. And so the four questions that I want to ask as we use this section, think about generations, I want to think about four things specifically. So what is, okay, here's the question before the question. What is the goal that we have as Christians for the generations that we influence? What's our goal? Okay, what's our end game? For our children, for our grandchildren, and then, by God's grace, great-grandchildren. What's our, what's our goal? What's the central theme that we should be living for and toward? And then we have four questions to answer that question. So number one is, what was Jesus' relationship to his earthly family? So, we're going to look at a kind of a biblical survey through the Gospels, and we're going to look at how Jesus related to his physical family. Okay? What was Jesus' relationship with his physical family? The second is what was Jesus' goal for his earthly family? So, he had interactions. He had a mother and a father and brothers and sisters, siblings. And the scriptures record for us, and they're somewhat limited in scope, but enough for us to discuss his relationship in that earthly family. Okay? So what was Jesus' goal for that family? Uh, three, what did Jesus do for his true family? So we're going to kind of change directions there with point three, for his true family as he begins to identify who his real family is. And then four, what does the work of Jesus mean for our families? So this is timely for us because we just had baby dedication Sunday, and for parents, and for soon-to-be parents, and for grandparents, it's going to hopefully touch uh, touch everybody in the room. So number one, uh, Jesus and his physical family. Now this is where we're going to kind of take a detour from what we normally have been doing as we walk through the book of Genesis and we're going to look at specific passages along the way and some for the sake of time I'm just going to breeze over so if you want you can kind of write it down go back study it or re-listen to the sermon or just do whatever you want to do to be able to catch up. So John chapter 2 verse 1 through 5 we have a dealing uh, with Jesus and his mother Mary. Jesus and the family, where Jesus and his disciples, excuse me, were invited to a party in Canaan. If you remember the first miracle in the Gospel of John, Jesus turned water into wine, and he did that at the nudging of his mother. If you remember, his mom came to him, there was a tragic event, the mom saw, oh my gosh, we're running out of wine, and apparently Mary wanted that wine, so she said, son, uh, you need to do something about this. And she gathered a group of people and she said, I want you to do whatever Jesus tells you to do because for some reason she knew that Jesus could provide an answer or a solution to the problem. And so Jesus reported back to her, Woman, it is not my time. And she said, it didn't stop her. She said, okay, don't stop and and do the same way. Do whatever he tells you. And she keeps going like she didn't even hear him. And at his mother's bidding, Mary got the attention of her son. Jesus recognized the unique voice of his earthly mother in his life. And Jesus listened to her. And he, do- he did so. He listened to his earthly mother and did in accordance, and he acted not in, uh, against his heavenly father's will, but in accordance with his heavenly father's will. But it was at the bidding of his mother. And so we see in some level, as you get into John chapter 2, and study that when you get time, his mother had some influence in how he was going to act at the wedding at Cana. You see that there was some sort of familial uh, attention, special attention that Jesus gave to His earthly mother. And mothers, um, when your sons are older, don't you thrive on your son giving you attention? I, I think my mom, if I called her, I mean, she'd love if I called her every single day, but if I called her once a week, she would be thrilled. Fortunately, I do get to see her. And by the way, and for the mothers with grown sons in the room, sons, call your mom every once in a while, okay? Moms... Grandmoms, would you love that? Okay, you can out yourself there. Okay, call your moms. You can see that Jesus had somewhat of a a good relationship with his mother. He had one in which she felt uh, at a party where she didn't feel like she was going to so much put a spotlight on him where he was going to be weird about it or anything like that, and he responded. Uh, Jesus then, in another scene with his mother in John chapter 19, verse 25 through 27, uh, Jesus, it, through the agony of her, her, his mother seeing him go through the crucifixion, and imagine, by the way, as a sidebar, how many prayers of faith that Mary probably prayed for her son to be delivered from this crucifixion, and the answer she got back from her heavenly father was no. You think about that, and old Garth Brooks had some wisdom when he wrote that song. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> That's funny. Come on, guys. Man. Jeez. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Rough crowd. Um, and, uh, and Jesus, in this moment of pain and crucifixion, He looked at His earthly mother, and He said to the disciple that He loved, the, John, the beloved, He said, Woman, here's your son. Son, or mother, here's your son. And what he secured for her as, he was, as she was losing her earthly son and the relationship they had had for that many years before, he was providing for her another son, one in which would be able to care for her and love for her, love her. And it was the disciple whom he loved. You see there was a tenderness through that, I believe. He didn't do that for anybody else. Uh, there was a tenderness in his provision for his mother's pain. There was a sympathy that was seen in him doing that for her. And so we, we can tell that he did have this relationship. It wasn't, um, he, he did have a relationship with his family. It wasn't this cold relationship in which uh, there was not feelings there or there was not compassion there. He was providing for his mother. And then we see now we see these scenes with his mom. We see also Jesus and his siblings. I am going to ask you to turn there, turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And then we'll move here pretty rapidly after that. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And... uh, Well, I'm missing a passage here because that was, oh, that was later. Okay, this one, yeah, uh, Jesus and his siblings, sorry. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, as a Jewish family, this family would have been uh, in close quarters together. They would have grown up together, and they would have had stories of sibling rivalries together. Uh, they would have had um, times that they remembered that things went crazy and they would be able to reflect back and remember, oh my goodness, do you remember that? Yeah, he threw up everywhere and it was just absolutely disgusting and Jesus came and cleaned it up because he's the perfect one and, uh, and then and all that and they, he would have had normal experience growing up or he would have had these family relationships, it would, have, it would have been there, there would have been a warmness um, to their relationships with, with the brother, brothers and the sister sisters. Um, But then I want you to see, even though there was, he he did have these dealings with his earthly family, uh, he had something that he had in mind for his family that was really specific. And so I want you to turn one more time uh, and turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 46 through 50. And what Jesus is going to do for us is he's going to take the earthly family and he's going to turn it into a metaphor for the spiritual family. And these metaphors can kind of go back and forth. There's things that we can learn about the church as we look at the family, and then there's things that we can learn about the family as we look at the church. And Jesus is going to do this for us uh, in a pretty, pretty unique way. So Mark chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. Here's what he says. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, I just want to ask you, if you were a sibling of Jesus, or if you were the mother of Jesus, and you heard those words... What are the feelings that would have kind of bellowed up inside of you or in your gut when you heard him say that? His mother and his brothers, who had his attention before, show up and inside Jesus is told that they're here, that they've arrived. And Jesus said, they're not my family. Those who do the will of God are my family. Now what's mama thinking at that time? Hey, Wait, What? What are the brothers, the, the siblings, thinking at that time? Jesus, what's up, man? Are you serious? Are you disowning us right here in this room full of people? I mean, come on. I'm your brother, man. Let me inside. Like, part the crowd and let us come forward. And no, Jesus just lets them stand outside. He doesn't give them access to him. Nope. What's Jesus doing? Why is he intent on saying to us that there's this other family that he's He's wanting us to know about. And John chapter 7, verse 4 and 5, we find out that his brothers did not believe that he was who he said he was. Jesus was going around claiming to be God and doing these miracles, and Jesus' brothers were like, you know what? Okay. Yeah, he's claiming to be God. We don't know about that. Yeah, I guess he's my brother, but he's a little off his rocker. Okay. They didn't even write that down, read it yourself, but they did not believe that Jesus was who He said He was. So we, we have this kind of dynamic that's going on. What is Jesus doing with His family? He had this relationship with His physical family, but apparently He wanted to make a, a differentiation between His physical family and some other sort of family that He's talking about, that category of those who do the will of His heavenly Father. So point two of the sermon is, what was Jesus' goal for them? Well, I I think it's clear then that his goal for his family, number one, is bigger than peace for his family. He's got a bigger goal for his family than simple peace with each other. The goal of many Christian families in this world today, and the goal of many families out there, is just keep at peace around the dinner table. Whatever it takes, peace at all costs. Whatever we have to avoid, whatever we have to not talk about, we just want peace at Christmas time. And so we won't talk about the issues that need to be talk about, talked about because the goal for our family is peace at all costs. Even if it's false peace. Even if it's, if it's just got the veneer of peace and we can get through the holidays, that's what we want. For Jesus, He's okay with His earthly family with their feathers being ruffled a little bit. If truth gets proclaimed, He's okay with that. So his goal was more than peace with the family. It's more than success in life. His actions, Jesus' actions, had a direct effect on the family. It had a direct effect. Oh, there's the family of the man who's claiming he's God. It had a direct effect on their lives. His, Jesus' goal for his earthly family was bigger than, it was different than, and it was not about avoiding embarrassing the family name. Many families today put the pressure on their sons and daughters to live up to a family name. Some of you, if you come from uh, a family of money, or if you come from a well-to-do family, there is, um, and maybe there's more of this in, in the south, or maybe the coasts, or something like this, but there comes, becomes pressure for you to be somebody or do something that honors the family name. And uh, Jesus had a more important goal for his earthly family, and he was okay with their name okay, being a little bit tainted for the sake of truth. Uh, Jesus also was certainly for more than just morality, because he was continually uh, telling people that living the normal Judaic way, life, was not enough, that they had sinned against God. So Jesus had a goal for them that was so different than, mod- than, than many modern, worldly family goals, and in fact, many family goals uh, within the church. So Jesus wanted His earthly family to be a part of His true family. It wasn't enough for them to be brothers and sisters. You see, He let in the room those who did the will of His heavenly Father. Those who were of His earthly family were outside of the house. He's making a difference here. Okay, He's showing us a different way of family, a goal for our earthly families. So what then did Jesus do for His true family? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, we find out, as husbands in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are head of an earthly family household, Jesus is the head of His household. Jesus has a family. Jesus has a bride. Jesus has a church. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, we find out that Christ Jesus is the head of the church. And so the question we have to ask is, okay, let's let's expand that. What does Jesus do for His family? What's going to be the goal for our family? What did Jesus do for His family? And then we can kind of align our goal for our families today. Well, here's what Jesus did for His family. Jesus lived and died, lived a perfect life, perfect life, For his family, perfectly, he died a sacrificial substitutionary death and he overcame Satan, sin, death when he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and he's going to one day come back. So for his family, Jesus did it all. Like, he did it all. So that's the good news of the gospel. The gospel, Here's the simple definition. The gospel is Jesus' substitutionary life, death, and resurrection on behalf of sinners to the glory of God. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that people can be a part of the family of God regardless of what family they came from from this earth. Jesus is so powerful that he can make sinners sons and daughters of God. That's a pretty good family man, is it not? He's pretty good at this family thing. And he's a pretty good head of his household. In fact, he's a perfect head of his household. In fact, everybody in his household is going to get the credit for the work that he did. He's going to give it to them. And he's going to bring them in. And now, those that are in his family are going to get the same title he has, son or daughter of God. Son of God. We are going to become heirs with him. He is incredible with his family. And this is what he wanted for his earthly family that they would do the will of a heavenly father. Jesus brings sinners into his family, and sinners become sons. And daughters. And here's what I want you to notice about Jesus' earthly brothers, because they show up later. And in fact in John 7, they're saying, Hey, we don't believe in him. We don't know okay, yeah, he's saying some things. He's our brother, but we don't know who he is. But get this in James chapter one and in Jude chapter one. There's only one chapter. James and Jude, they're his siblings. And you go read this in verse one in, in both both James and Jude. Here's James, who is a brother of Jesus. Okay, an earthly brother of Jesus. And here's what he calls him. Here's what he calls Jesus. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer, no longer is he disbelieving in Jesus. And now he's not even calling him his earthly brother. What kind of person is Jesus? What kind of God is Jesus? Where where your brother, talking about apologetic for Jesus being who he said he was, his earthly brother is calling him God. And then... And he's not saying, oh yeah, he's my brother. Because you know how many dame droppers are in here, right? If Jesus was your brother and you were writing a letter, you'd make sure in bold print, probably, I would. Hey, Jesus is my brother, therefore, I'm important. Listen to me. I know stories from his childhood. Nope. Jude, what about his other brother? Jude, one of his other brothers, writes in in the New Testament, and he says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Now, isn't that interesting? Jude is okay with calling his brother James, who we just heard from, his brother, but he doesn't say, identify himself as a brother of Jesus. Because Jesus is more than that. Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus didn't go about his father's business, even in that day where his family was on the outside, and if he didn't take seriously the true family, if he didn't take seriously his work in obeying his heavenly father, He wouldn't have a true family. James and Jude wouldn't have a Lord to follow. But Jesus succeeded. He prevailed. And that is glorious good news. The brothers are transformed. So for us, here's what I want to leave us with. What does the work of Jesus mean for our family? What does the work of Jesus, how great of a family man He is, how great of a head of His household He is, what does it mean for us? And men in particular, I'm going to address you. God has designated you as head of your household. Lead Servant, not lead master. We've been through that before. Lead servant in the home. Lead repenter. Lead lover. Lead all of that. Bible, you set the pace. Lead in compassion. Lead in love. Lead in all the areas that you can lead and serve. But no matter what, you cannot save your child. There's a limitation there, there's only one head. There's only one leader. There's only one family man who can save your children. And the greatest identity for your son and daughter that you'll ever experience is not as your son and daughter. Our goal, the goal of the Christian family, is that our sons and daughters would get titles for us as brother and sister. I want to be a brother to my son rather than I want my son simply to be my son. And I long for the day that he meets Jesus and he becomes my brother. And there's going to be a day, I believe, that God is going to so work in him where I'm going to learn from him. And then by God's grace, if God was to call him to ministry, or if he was to be the kind of man who would be an elder in this church or in any church, I would gladly be a member and be able to follow his spiritual leadership. I would love that with all of my heart as my brother. And for us, that's what we want for our children. So for us parents, we must realize what our goals for our family are not. Okay? Our goal is not peace with each other. Well, we just want peace. We want something more than that for our kids, for our grandchildren. We want something more than just success in life. We want something more than just a kid, just avoid embarrassing the family name. Just don't be a bozo. Just live an acceptable life. Just go out and do well. Work hard. We want more than that. The world may define that as success, but for us, we want godly children who love Jesus with all of their heart. Men, your headship, leadership has been established for the purpose of leading your family. Hear me, man. Your goal as the head of your family is to lead your children and your family to the head of the church. That's the family that matters. That's your responsibility with your children. Parents, your, des- your children desperately, desperately need to see that your identity This is a struggle for us all. Your identity is rooted in being a son and daughter or daughter of God more than it is being dad and mom to our children. If our identity, our central identity as parents or grandparents, is in being a parent to your kids, your gospel, your functional good news then will just be, I just want my kid to be happy with me. And you will want nothing greater in your life than them just simply to be happy with you. If they are the center, that's what you'll want. Just no family strife. That's what you'll want. Francis Chan, if we see our goal of living and parenting toward the true head of the church, okay, we, want, we want our kids, this is all we want, is we want them to love and follow Jesus. Okay? We'll be able to say to our children the things that need to be said. Jordan got to speak an event a couple years ago, and she was speaking with Francis Chan's daughter. And Francis Chan's daughter, I may butcher this, baby, but uh, she said about her dad one time, her dad sat down and told her, I tried to write this from memory, and if I do, Jordan, just speak up and tell me that was wrong. Uh, he said to his daughter, claiming to be a Christian and living the way you live, you are pushing your friends closer to hell. And if your kids are central in your life, you'll never be able to say that to them. But if you understand your goal for your life is to see Christ honored in your family and to see them walk and follow Him all the days of your life, you can say what needs to be said. You You cannot claim the name of Christ and live that way. You simply can't. I care about the name of Christ too much, son or daughter, to see you wipe His name in the mud like that. And there may come a point with our children to fight for their souls that we have to have those difficult conversations with them But our goal to restate two things will be done. Our goal in parenting then and in grandparenting is to humbly do everything that we can to parent children toward the family of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the house called the church. And in his family, the family gets the credit for the work that he did for him. He is a head of his household that we men and that we parents cannot be for our children. What I am most thankful for then in my life well, other than conversion, what I'm thankful for, truly thankful. My parents were almost going to be here today, but my dad was sick. I'm thankful that my parents were not about the Sparks or my name more than they were about the name of Jesus. My parents are in my spiritual lineage. They pointed me to Christ. They got their problems. They would admit it. Um, by God's grace, they loved Jesus and pointed me to Jesus. I, by God's grace, I want to be a part of Ransom's spiritual lineage. I could care less about him knowing anything about the Sparks or Vaughn, name, any of that. I just want him, I want it. I, by God's grace, I want Ransom's testimony one day to be, you know what, my dad and mom loved Jesus and they pointed me to him. And the love of Jesus just overwhelmed me. And that's what I want for him. And that's what I want for, for us. May it be. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you know how to deal with your family, that we, your true family here, who have, by your grace, done the will of the Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your headship, your leadership over us, your kindness, your humility, your ability to be tender when we need to be tender with, your ability to be strong with us when we need you to be strong, your ability just to care for us. God, thank you that you sent your Son. Jesus, thank you for living the perfect life that I could not live, that I have not lived, Jesus, thank you for being the head of your family. When I fail to be the head of mine, I thank you that I can trust you. Um, Jesus, we just thank you. Help us, um, help our children, Help help us to walk with them and point them into your family. That's what we want. We trust that your work lead us now. In Jesus' name, amen.